we want to thank our sponsor, Success Beyond Game Day. For many athletes, the last safe place was the locker room. They could be themselves and not be judged. Success Beyond Game Day creates a locker room community for athlete development. Partnering with individual athletes, high schools, athletic departments, college and pro teams on building their brands, understanding name, image, and likeness, how to get deals, and personal finance, all while leveraging a proprietary assessment that identifies core skills that athletes can leverage to create a competitive advantage, all while creating an environment where athletes can connect to push each other to greatness. Check it out at www.successbeyondgameday.com. Well, we touched on these two. We touched a little bit on NIL and then the transfer portal. Um, Now, you have the, you know, you didn't have the ability like they have now to to change schools, but you did have to live through Patino leaving, Uh new coaching staff coming in, Tubby Smith comes in. Um, you didn't know, you know, I mean, he, he renewed your scholarship, right? He so did, that was, yes. but you didn't know, am I going to get playing time? Is he going to bring his, his new guys in all this right. type of stuff, right? So there was, there was question marks there. Sure. And we see, you know, nowadays we see a lot of kids entering the portal for many reasons, right? And and many times because they're facing some sort of adversity, what did you learn by staying and not, you know, had you had the portal, right? Right. And had the ability to leave and, and but chose to stay, you know, what uh what did you learn by staying? And, and Ron, when when you when you sent me some of the questions you were gonna ask, that was the one that stood out in my mind because I thought that that is such such a great question because to me, that is the biggest weakness of the portal. And look, I love the portal. I do think the free-for-all every year has is chaos. I do think they need to tighten it down and say, okay, you know what? You can train. This is what I think they should do with the portal. You can transfer once with no penalty, but you can't transfer again with no penalty. You can transfer again, but now we're going back to the old rules of you're going to sit out a year, right? Um, Because this free for all, because basically what you're asking coaches to do. And look, the reason the transfers ought to be what they are now to some degree is that because of what you just said, coaches can come and go as they wish with no penalty, because even if there's a buyout on their contract, they're not paying it. Right. The school that wants them is paying it. And if they leave because they're fired, well, that's not neither here nor there anyway, because the whole point is when they go sell a recruit, they sell a recruit on basically I'm going to be your surrogate father for the next four years or as long as you're with me. Right. Well, then if they say that, because look, no, there's no coach and no player for the most part that's going to go play for a coach who's honest enough with them to say, look, I've had three pretty good years at this institution. If I have another good one next year, I'm probably going to jump ship, but I'd love for you to come play for me for that one year. No, no, that's, that's part of no coach's spiel. That's, that's not part of their pitch. Um, so that's why the portal needed to have it, it needed, it needed to be as fair for the players and as easy for the players as it is for the coaches. The coaches, however, still have these buyouts that somebody is paying for. It's not them, it's typically the school that wants them. They'll pay the buyout and then all right, contract's done. Now we can sign a new one. But this free-for-all every year, because now we're asking coaches to go recruit a freshman recruiting class, and then they're not done. Like, I mean, Kentucky literally has the number one recruiting class this year, and I don't know how great it's going to be overall, but, I mean, we literally have five of the top 22 players consensus coming in as freshmen. Um, I don't think we've ever had a better recruiting class when it comes to ranking. Now, I don't put a lot of stock in the rankings. I think they're all a joke. 
um, because it doesn't take into fact to, to and and I, it bothers me when fans put a lot of stock into it. Like, yeah. okay, well, because number one, what it does, and this is part of life, it puts a lot of pressure on these kids that someone else is placing on them. These kids aren't telling you, oh, I'm the number 10, right? I mean, they'll repeat it if they hear it, right? But they're not deciding what they're ranked. Somebody that has or has not ever even played at a collegiate level. Yeah. They're deciding what they're ranked based on their opinion. It's the same ridiculousness of preseason rankings and awards. It's stupid. Um, it's just, it's the media wanting to feel important. Like, well, this is what we think. You know, I mean, I, the preseason awards. Have you ever heard of something dumber in your life? This is the this is the SEC preseason player of the year. What does that mean? He hadn't done jack this year. You know what he's going to do? Maybe he spent the entire summer taking it easy and not improving at all. But just based on what he did last year, you're going to give him an award for this year? It's yeah. the dumbest thing the media does, of the many dumb things the media does. Um, anyway, so um, something had to be changed with the portal. But I do think, okay, we got to pull back and say the free-for-all every year, asking coaches to recruit a freshman class and then go, but now we got to go recruit um, a transfer class. Um, it's just a lot. And back to your question, personally, if I had had the option to transfer in this manner, I wouldn't have transferred because at least I don't think I would have because my freshman year, I had reason to leave. But the reason I had and wanted to leave was I had no idea it was going to be this hard. I had no idea I was going to be yelled at this much. I had no idea I was going to be up at five o'clock every morning and ready to go at six to eight and then come back and go again in the afternoon. I had no idea that I, and I literally, and Cheney, I may have shared this with you. I probably did at one point. Um, but I literally remember my freshman year life, life. It was one of the worst years of my life. I'm living my dream. And yet it's one of the worst years of my life because I was not prepared for the gap between high school ball and high D one ball. And to be honest, it's not even just high D one ball. It, to me, in my, in my case, obviously it's specifically Rick Patino, Kentucky ball and what his expectations were you were from you as a player. Because we had transfers in, like Derek Anderson's a perfect example. Derek transferred from Ohio State. And, of course, that year he set out, he's still practicing with us. But he's watching, like, he's like we're, we're, like, in February, and we're still going two and a half, three hours a day. And he was blown away. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, this is what y'all do? Y'all, I mean, we're, we're mid-season. We're, we're in late season. And y'all still go three hours a day, and we're looking at him like, well, yeah, what y'all do at Ohio State? He said, we never had a practice longer than an hour and a half, ever, at any point in the season. And we're looking at him like, well, no wonder you wanted to transfer. No wonder they're in the bottom of the Big Ten. I mean, it was like, it, it, it was so laughable. And honestly, in some way, building up to us because we thought, oh, when coach says, and our strength and conditioning coach says, no one is going to outwork you. You are going to be the most, no one will be in better shape than you. No one will be prepared mentally the way you all are. And then you have that story come in and you're like, oh, that's it. it's true. So it was so hard that I wanted to quit. And I literally went home to mom and dad uh, five different times my freshman year um, and um, said, I want, I I want to quit. And to me though, it wasn't, I want to go somewhere else. Um, Meaning I I wanted to go somewhere else and play ball because I, like I said, I, well, I don't know if I said this other, but ministry, I felt called to ministry since I was 12 years old. And right down the road here in Lexington is a little place called Wilmore with an amazing school called Asbury. It used to be called Asbury College. Now it's called Asbury University. Um, it is still it is still a, an incredibly godly institution um, of quote unquote higher learning. Um, and I thought that was my plan. I was gonna I was just gonna be done with basketball because it wasn't that I wanted to go somewhere else and play for someone easier. It was that I hated basketball now. 
I hated the sport now because now it was very much no longer for fun. And there were indications of that in high school, right? Now this was clearly work and this was hard work, not just physically, but mentally, because you were undressed every day mentally. And so I was so disillusioned by that, that I wanted to quit basketball, transfer, transfer, uh, unenroll from UK, enroll in Asbury and just start preparing for ministry. That, that was my plan. Fortunately, I had a mom and dad who said, no, no, that's, that's, we're not doing that. And that was when they were still having to pay tuition. That was my freshman year. So they were still having to pay tuition. I, I, they would have had to pay tuition at Asbury as well, but no, it wasn't even an option. It was like, and, and, and my dad more than anything, because my dad had been my basketball coach. So he had watched me do all the work. He was the one that decided that you, you know, when I started playing well in middle school and high school, like, yeah, you, you chance are you could play D one. Um, so thankfully I had a mom and dad who said, you're not going anywhere. This is what you said your dream was. And guess what, buddy? Sometimes life is hard. Suck it up, learn and, and, and get used to it. And it was not only the best advice I've gotten in my life, but I could not be more thankful looking back, obviously in 2020, but what would I have walked away from? I mean, just in your all's introduction of me, I would have walked away from two, maybe three national championships um, eventually becoming a, a, a contributing player um, to the point where I still hold the all-time three-point shooting record, of at least percentage-wise, in a career, um, or at least a season, one of the two. I used to have both of them, and then one of, one of Cal Perry's players came in, played for two years, and took the career away from me by, like, 0.2 of a percentage point. So, anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I, and I never dreamed that I would have that, that, I would have, had that. So, um, I think the transfer portal makes it easy for kids to run away when they think I'm not getting enough playing time. Okay. You know what? Get to work this summer and earn your playing time. I think it makes it easy for kids who think coach doesn't like me, which is such an elementary age, middle school attitude. Um, because just a mere idea of that, let's think about this. A coach has recruited you presumably. All right. You're not there as a walk on. Let's talk about the scholarship athletes. Coaches ask you to come there. Now I, I understand there might be a new coach. Like in my case, coach, you know, or coach Smith, he, maybe he came in and hated me. Well, I don't care if coach hates you or not. He wants to win. And so if you can play, there's nobody that's not playing because the coach doesn't like you. He may not like your attitude and he may not like your toxicity as a teammate. And therefore, you know what? If I put them in, they're just going to go run and gun and ruin what we've got going on in the game. Yeah. So then get better. But there is no personal like hatred that a coach has for a member of the team where he says, I just don't like that kid, so I'm not going to play him. That, that doesn't happen at this level. That they, Coaches are paid to win games. Quite literally, this is another issue, the further they go in that tournament, the bigger their bonuses get. Don't think our bonuses change because we ain't giving bonuses or money to begin with. But yet the coaches, even though they're not doing jack, I mean, let's be honest, they're preparing us. Coach, Coach Patino, Tubby, John Calipari have never scored a single point for the University of Kentucky. Yet between the th three of them, they've got four national championships. No, three national championships. Um, none of them have ever done anything on the court. None of them for Kentucky. They have prepared their teams, and yet they're getting made, paid millions of dollars while the guys actually doing the work and winning the games are getting lectures. That's what they're getting. Yeah. And bad ones at that sometimes. <laughs> Cameron, you talked about NIL, and I know that's, that's, that's changed direction just a little bit and, and focus on that. You said you're for it. How has your opinion of NIL changed from when it was initially rolled out to 
to where it is today. It didn't, it didn't change at all. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. it, it I've been, I, I've been, and when I say I've been fighting for it, I've been fighting for it on social media because it's, I mean, well, and I take that back too. I actually approached, um, because I never, I never, it didn't occur to me that what actually happened with NIL could happen. If the NCAA isn't going to change it, guess who can change it? The state legislatures. They're the ones that can say, um, yeah, y'all aren't being fair to these kids. And so I did go to not my senator, but a senator that I had a relationship, a state senator here in Kentucky. Um, and it wasn't really even about the current players in IL deals. It was about my now again, at this point, I have I fi- I finally now I say finally, it's been 25 years since I played. But the moment I got done, at, literally after that that um championship game in 98 at the Alamo Dome against Utah, the moment that clock hit double zeros, I retained full rights to my name, image, and likeness. Did not have it up until then. University, NCAA, whatever you want to do, they, they had it. Yeah. And I don't even know if I realized that they had it, right? Um, and to be honest, what opened my eyes, even though I'd always slowly as you get away from your career and you look back and you know how hard these guys are working, and then you know because it's UK is a public institution with an, a, a self-sustaining athletic program, well, that doesn't happen unless there's millions of dollars coming in, whether they're coming in from games, bowl games, boosters, whatever. Um, literally, I mean, and, and what's funny to me is like just a basketball team profits. And I don't know what the what the figure is the last few years, but like three or four, four or five years ago, the, just the basketball team was profiting. And profiting means after they've paid their debt, right? Yeah. I know y'all know that, but let's be clear about what we're saying. They're profiting $13 million. And yet at the same time, you know, you've got people out there saying, you know, there's just not enough money for the players. Now, that's another thing altogether. But to have that power over the players and to say it's a fair trade because you're getting a education, okay, which, again, is very debatable. All right. And I'm not trying. I'm not slandering UK. I'm not slandering. I will slander higher education altogether. I don't care how many PhDs you have, Cheney. I will slander all of that because the mere fact that we are pushing kids into this higher education world and separating them in high school and saying, you know what, your college material, you're not. I mean, that's what we're doing, right? And so you need to go to college. And that's what all parents now believe. My kid has to go to college. What, to get a communications degree? Which is going to prepare you to do what exactly? Because I'll tell you a story. I took Palm 181 at UK, basic public speaking. I got a C. It's what I do for a living. It has maintained me for 25 years. I am a basic public speaker. I have a career in it. I've, I, I have brought in money every year from speaking. And my professor gave me a C. You know why? Because I wouldn't turn in outlines because I'm an extemporaneous speaker. Now I have outlines. I do them, but then I memorize it, right? I wouldn't turn in outlines for her. I would memorize my speeches and just give my talks in class. She gave me an A plus literally on every speech I had, gave me an F because I wouldn't turn in outlines. And therefore that average out to a C in class. We're pushing kids into this nonsense. And it's not nonsense, except for the fact of what we're charging them for it. Right. I mean, my my brother got a full ride at a at a at a little school here in, in Lexington called Transylvania University. He was a better basketball player than I was, by the way. He 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 had uh, made the Denver N- NBA Summer League team um, after his senior year at Transy. That school back then, this is 20, 25 years ago. That school back then was like 40 grand a year. That's what Kentucky is now. It's ridiculous what we're charging, all because we have it in our mind that 
We got to get these kids. They needed education. I can't tell you how many men I had. And I don't know why it was just men. It's probably women too, but would come up to me and say, Cameron, you got to get your education. Because here's the thing. I didn't have my degree until 2010 because I had one Spanish class I was missing. One three-hour Spanish class was keeping me from getting a degree in psychology. All right. Now, that's fine. If that's, if that's the rules at a, at a, at a, um, a liberal arts institution like UK, fair enough. Okay. It's, it's good to be well-rounded and have all sorts of education. But I had so many people pushing me when, because people would ask me, well, what, what year did you graduate? And that's not what they're asking. What they're asking is what was your last year playing? That's what they want to know. Cause they, they don't give a rat's behind about whether or not I got a degree or not, except I wouldn't lie about it. So I would say, well, my last year playing, which is what I knew they wanted to know was 98. And then sometimes I would be more honest than I needed to be in saying, and usually this was people who I was somewhat close to. I'd say, but I actually, I still have my degree. And they were like, be like, what? You didn't graduate? I'm like, no, I haven't graduated. Well, and then they would look about what I did. Well, I was self-employed at the time. Actually, at that time, I had my job with LHC Group. Didn't have my degree. Um, and then all of a sudden they get to, um, and, and I know it's well-meaning, but it's not thought through. It's what they hear. It's what they hear in the zeitgeist of, of world. Well, you know, son, you really need your education. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I remember one guy in particular, I was at the mall here in Lexington, and I guess I was in a snippy mood. And he said that to me, right? He asked me the question. I answered it. I said, my last year was 98. Um, didn't get my degree. I, I still don't have my degree. And he stopped. He got real incensed. Really? You don't have your education? I'm like, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. What do you mean I don't have my education? Well, you don't, you, you haven't graduated. I'm like, so you equate graduation to having an education? Well, yeah. I'm like, let me explain something to you, sir. I said, I have 149 hours of a degree of which I only need 138 hours to get the degree. I've got, I've got more education than I need. What you're saying I don't have, and what's a big deal to you is that little piece of paper that said degree, Bachelor of Arts Psychology. And the only thing keeping me from getting it was a three-hour Spanish class that I failed twice in a row because I took it my senior year, the spring semester of my senior year, which happened to be when I'm in the middle of basketball. Oh, and then we win the national championship. And the rule is, and it's an unspoken rule, but the rule is, is if you win the national championship in April of that semester, you don't go to class the rest of the semester. You just don't because you don't have to because you're a national champion, right? It's not, the UK doesn't know that's a rule. But it's a rule. If you want the national championship, you're done with class. Because guess what you actually go do? You go capitalize on your name, image, and likeness when it's as hot as it will be. So within the three months of from April 1998, because we won the championship, I want to say April 3rd, 1998, my senior year. So now I can, I can make money for the first time in my life off my name. From that three months, from April, May, and June, Jeff Shepard, Alan Edwards, and I, and then eventually Nazi Muhammad when he declared he was going to go early. We went around this state and signed our names, signed autograph sessions, did barnstorm games, right? We made each of us $100,000 in those three months. Well, what's the real point of getting an education? I mean, in truth, it is the education to be knowledgeable. Well, I can go to the library and just read books and get that. The real thing is they want you in that school paying bookos of money for them to tell you, you now have an education. And look, when it comes to doctors, nurses, um, attorneys, I realize they're, 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 that that's different. I mean, you've got to pass a test before you can even work in those lines of work. Communications, 
No, it's not a test you have to pass. Oh, by the way, there's also not any CEUs in communication. So if there's not any CEUs in, an, in, an, in a career, then explain to me how, okay, so you basically I stopped learning in 1998. That's going to carry me through. There's yeah, nothing got- to change in the next 40 years. I'm gonna, that, and this is why Cheney doesn't, he keeps going to school because he understands that even from his point of view, you know what? There are more things to learn. But if you don't have CEUs in your career, then did college really prepare you for it? Or did on-the-job training prepare you for it? And the other problem I have with this is that we're taking so many kids and pushing them into college because we have to sustain this institution that we've created in this world. And we are ignoring our technical schools because we need people. You realize you could go and learn how to weld. It takes you about a year. From my not from what from from what I've done from me looking into it, it takes you about a year to become a welder. A welder can earn over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, how would you go to college if you could do that? Okay, it's a blue collar job. So what? We need. I mean, our, we our, the infrastructure of this country is falling apart right now. We need people who can build things, who can create things who work with their hands and you can go learn how to work with your hands much cheaper than you can to go work with your mind. And by the way, guess what? You can go work with your hands and still go to the library and learn how to work with your mind. So it's, just, it's the whole attitude of just college in general that bothers me. Um, and I know I'm way off topic here or slightly off topic, but NIL hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. My, 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 my opinion of it is it took forever for it to happen. It was an absolute travesty that the NCAA had this power over us in the first place. There's a um, a great documentary that uh, Ryan, I, I don't know if Cheney's watched or not, called Schooled, which I mean, just it schools the NCAA is what it does. Right. It absolutely destroys them. When you've got a vice president of the NCAA being interviewed for this documentary and the, the interviewer is saying, so why don't you pay these kids? And he says, well, because they're amateurs. And then he comes in and immediately right back to, why are they amateurs? Well, because we don't pay them. Oh, that's 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 brilliant circular reasoning. For a vice president of the NCAA, for that to be his answer, clearly there's an issue. Clearly there's a level of control here that this institution should not have. And you know what? The NIL is the first step of taking that control away, away from them, or at least if it ever gets to the point where they're paying the basketball and football players. And I know that sounds sexist, but they're, those are the institutions or the, the, the sports that bring it. Yeah. Those are the two. And I, and I know it, it doesn't sound fair, I'm sure it would run into on some level a Title IX issue, but football and basketball, men's football and basketball brings in the money. Okay. So that's why it's fair that, because here's the deal. The other teams are not bringing in money. And, and, and look, I, I'm sorry that's unfair, but the reason they don't is because, I mean, nobody's going to watch our swim team. And we've got an amazing swim dive team. We've got an amazing track team. We've got an amazing, I mean, our non-revenue sports, Mitch Barnhart at UK has done su- such an amazing job of elevating our non-revenue sports. But they're called non-revenue sports for a reason. Right. Because he takes the money that football basketball makes and that the boosters give based on what most of the most, – what do they care about? Football and basketball, right? He takes that money and he invests it into the non-revenue sports. There's a part of me that loves that because at the time, I mean, when I was there, we were the doormat of the SEC in just about everything other than basketball. So I love that. But at the same time, I'm sitting there looking at these guys like, yeah, but these are the guys that are these are the guys that actually mean that um, you those of you that work in athletics, you all are getting paid based off their work. You, the money that you all take is it's not coming from UK because in our instance, our athletic department is freestanding. They are they are associated with UK, but they have their own income. They have their own budget. 
And we take zero money from the University of Kentucky. That's why I love when Coach Cal gets a raise. Certain people who are, you know, out of ignorance say, this, this money ought to be going to the School of Education. This money isn't coming from, it's not coming from the taxpayers. This money comes from basketball and football. And to be honest, Coach Cal, you know what, you know what athletics pays Coach Cal? Athletics. They pay Cal Perry. He makes over $8 million a year. 400000 of that comes from the athletics department. The rest comes from his deal with JMI, which basically is a bunch of companies that he endorses, and that makes up the rest of his. He has to do certain things, but that makes up his $8 million. And by the way, if you ask me, he's, he's paid half as much as he should be. If we're making $13 million a year, he's worth another, he's, he's worth another eight. Yeah. I mean, if we're just looking at it, I don't know if that's how it works out CEO-wise as far as most companies, but my dad and I argue about this all the time. Cal isn't, nobody's worth $8 million. I'm like, well, dad, just the basketball team's profiting $13 million, So clearly he's worth, I'd say, half that seems fair. I mean, he's organizing it. He's not doing the work. I mean, the work on the court, he's organizing it. But at some point, the guys on the court needed to be re, uh, recompensed. Is that the right word? Cheney, you tell me. Um, compensated. Compensated, thank you. Um, and uh, and finally, the NL brought that to the, to the, to the um, point. But I went to one of our state senators and said, um, I want you to look in something for me personally. He's a very good friend. There was a store here in town and an artist who drew very, he's a great painter, but was drawing paintings and getting them reproduced of our 98 team. And so what he did was he would paint, he would take someone else's photographs, reproduce them with his, with his ink on paint. And, and he did it very, very well. They were very, they, it was done very well. So he's putting my name and, and each one, by the way, each one of us, cause he put like a collage of us. Yeah. Put the team picture in there and then put the celebrating, uh, uh, celebrating on the stand at the tournament. Um, he took all those pictures, painted them into this great collage, and it is fantastic looking. But under each one of us, it's not only our image and our number and Kentucky's name, which that's trademarked, by the way, right across the top, but then our names written underneath our picture. And he wanted, I told him, he came to me and said, look, um, I'd like to do this. I'm like, okay. And this is before NIL. And I said, okay, okay, well, here's the deal. You're wanting to use my and my teammates name, image, and likeness for you to profit off of. You can do that, but only if you have written permission from each one of us. And I'm going to tell you this right now. None of us, I'm not, I'm not giving you written permission without some sort of compensation. I'm not going to give you, say, you can, you can draw a picture of me, sell it, and then profit off of it without me having any, any, sort, of, any sort of profit off of it myself. So I told him that. Six months later, out pops this poster. I started calling my teammates saying, if you ever talk to this guy, none of them knew who he was. Like, and then two of my teammates, one in particular, did an autograph session for him because he had told him, talk to Cameron. Whatever, you know, Cameron's going to organize this for us because I'm the one that lives in Lexington. And so um, he did an autograph session. And I said, what are you doing? Why would you? He said, I thought you okayed this. I said, I can't okay you. I can only okay my likeness. And I didn't do it. I told him he had to call everyone and get everyone's individual likeness, which is, I believe, what it should be. So that was so frustrating to me. I went to the state senator and I said, look, can you look into this? And he looked into it. And the laws in Kentucky were so weak that we really didn't have much of a, we didn't have much we could do, which is absurd to me. What he did is he looked at Indiana's laws. Indiana's laws were actually pretty harsh on this. 
So he started working on a new on on a new um, a bill that would take care of this, and then that led eventually to in Kentucky at least NIL becoming a thing, and that was the brilliance of it to me because the NCAA they don't do things unless they're forced to do things. Right. They have to be forced by outsourced sources. They don't do anything for the goods of the kids. They don't. I, they say that that's such nonsense to me. They don't do anything. Look, I wanted to take a class in Greek because I'm going into ministry. Because my Greek class was going to coincide with 15 minutes of practice time, I wasn't allowed to take it. I mean, I thought we were student athletes. I thought that was the whole reason. NCAA gets all bent out of shape when NCAA tournament. No, no, no. The, the, the student athletes will be here in a minute. Not student athletes. Right. They're athletes, period. And you all have them here because they're making you millions of dollars. End of story. And by the way, if they're not even in a school, where the basketball, the football team, or the athletics department is um, self-funding, then you have to ask yourself, well, then why do they have athletics? I'll tell you why. It's marketing and PR. Literally this week, I talked to a person who lives in West Virginia, has always grown up being a Kentucky basketball fan. Guess where he's going to college? Kentucky. Why did you come to Kentucky? Just love Kentucky basketball. Happens more often than people think. Right. So my 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 attitude towards NIL hasn't changed. I mean, I don't even know if the rule, I don't know what the exact rules are. I just know that the rumor last year was we had one particular player. I'd heard that he was making $2 million last year. I'd heard he was making 800000 I know for a fact that one of our incoming freshmen during his senior year of high school had already signed an NIL deal worth $100,000. And I am bloody all for it. Yeah. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. Let um. Let's look at the, the you know, athletes get talked to, they get talked to, right, all the time about how your your skills translate to life after sports and the next level and all that type of thing. What are, what are two of the skills that you, that athletics, not, maybe not taught you, but refined in you that, uh, that you use on a daily basis in, in your, you know, professional life? So the first one, and more more than anything, would be the one I mentioned earlier, just learning how to be coachable. And that, without a shadow of a doubt, I learned that from uh, a guy named Rick Pitino. I'm, I mean, when you've got a guy who literally, and that's the genius of his madness, so to speak. Um, I love him more today than I ever did then. I hate I hated Coach then. And I, I hate saying that because how much I love him today. Because, I, you know, it, you eventually grow up and you look back. It's like the drill sergeant in, 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 um, in, in um, boot camp. I mean, you go, you, you, you eventually learn they have to be tough on you because, well, in that case, being in the military is a pretty serious thing. Um, playing division one basketball is far less serious, but at the same time for the people who love it, it's very serious for them. Um, and so, and for those coaches who are getting paid a lot of money, they, they've got a lot of pressure on them. So they put a lot of pressure on you as a player. Um, and coach Patino used to talk about all the time, how pressure we, he said, we, we've got it backwards. He goes, we look at pressure as a bad thing. He said, pressure is a brilliant, wonderful thing. He said, it's pressure that makes you prepare. Pressure means that you are going to study the film. And in, in the case of basketball, you're going to study the scouting board. If you're getting ready to play in the national championship game, and it's clearly the biggest, most important game of your life, you're going to take that pressure of not wanting to fail is going to ensure that you're going to take extra time studying the scouting report. You're going to be extra focused in the film sessions. You're going to listen to everything your coaches say, because, Hey, guess what? You're in the national championship game. They haven't been wrong much yet. Right. So you're going, so that pressure forces you to prepare. 
Um, but the other thing is just learning how to be coachable. Um, I, I, I would not, I would probably be like what I, I find. And look, look, don't get me wrong. It's not that I can't slip into that bad habit of taking things personally. I can. Um, it's one of the reasons I love my wife so much is because she and I are like eye to eye on this. Like I would rather like, okay, it's a, it's a silly example, but let's use it. Um, if I wake up, if, 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 if let's say it's midday right now, she's get, she's going to get home here in a little bit. And as soon as she walks through the door, she may actually be here. She may have snuck in. Cause I told her I was going to do this, this, this uh, podcast. If she, if, when I see her, when we're done, I'm going to give her a kiss. And if she says to me in the moment of that kiss, Oh baby, your breath is terrible. That is going to hurt. That is, I mean, this is the woman I love. I don't want her thinking that I smell in any way, shape or form. Um, even though I do, and there's probably times she doesn't tell me, but I can't do anything about my breath unless someone loves me enough to tell me. Yeah. Um, one of my messages that I preach a lot, um, I use an example of when I was in um, Beckley, West Virginia, uh, doing a ski retreat ministry thing. I wasn't skiing. The kids were skiing. And then they would come in and 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 we had like three three different search, you know, youth services for them. So it was about 100 kids. They were from uh, Georgia. They'd dr- driven up to Beckley to ski. And I'm like, you know, I sometimes as a speaker, even you got to you kind of you, you know, you've got it going. You know, you're hitting on all cylinders, man. I mean, it's just. And again, your your ego starts, even in the moment, starts to kind of take over. Um, and I'd had one of those things where um, the night before the Friday night, I had just nailed it. I mean, I had been so good. And then I'm like, all right, you know what? It's going to, so Saturday morning, I got the kids again. I'm like, man, it's going to be hard to be, it's going to be hard to beat last night. And so I'm just thinking to myself, I, I was so good yesterday. I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's a joke. I tell it's like, I was so good. I wanted to take notes on me. That's how good I was. So I'm like, I, I, how am I going to, how am I going to beat myself last night? Well, I, I got to beat it. All right. So maybe a little more energy. It's not overdo it. You know, you're telling yourself stuff. Well, I get up there and I speak and I am better Saturday morning than I was Friday night. And I know I was. And so when I wrap up, my friend gets up who invited me to speak. He's going to pray and then dismiss the kids. And I know that I have so impacted these children, right? These are teenagers, by the way. Um, I know that they're all going to want to come talk to me and basically just bask in my gloriousness, right? So I get done. He prays, and and I've walked to the back. I walked to the back of the conference room at the hotel. He gets done praying, and I mean, literally, every every head turn, bam, to find me. Where is he? And I mean, you've got kids hopping over chairs to get to me. And I'm like, have you ever seen this, that, that part in, I think it's Ace Ventura 2? Like, come to me, my jungle friends. It's like, come <laughs> to me, come to me, my children. I'm waiting for him. Because I, I know they want they want to they want to touch the hem of my garment, right? That's what they want. So they come, and um, the first kid gets to me, and he's got this big smile, and he's kind of the you can tell he's kind of the cool kid, right? Um, the, this is when he gets like all the everyone gets out of his way because he's he's going to have the first word with me, and so I'm going to really impact his life. I know I'm going to speak truth. He's probably one of the, he's probably, he's either going to get saved or he's going to say, you know what? You convinced me to go into ministry. It's going to be a life-changing moment with the, between he and us. He gets up to me and he says, without, with, with very little grace, dude. Now, the moment he said, dude, I'm like, I know what's coming. Dude, most <laughs> amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. Dude, you've changed. Yeah, I, I needed that, man. I mean, I, and actually, you know, I'm tears. I know he's going to start crying, right? Instead, and he says it loudly. That's what I mean by when I say he didn't say it with much grace. He said it loudly enough so everybody could hear. Um, maybe not intentionally, but he did. He goes, dude, did you know your fly was down that entire message? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down 
And not only is my fly down, but it is a gate. Right. <laughs> and I mean, there was like, and I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, I was crushed because now I realize why I thought I'd done so well because all the kids were on the edge of their seat. They were laughing, you know, at the, at the funny parts. They even got serious during the serious parts, but at the entire time they were on the edge of the seat. Why? Because of this clown that's up there on stage, they are watching a clown. And so when I think they're coming back to tell me how amazing I am, they're actually coming back to all tell me my fly was down. And I remember specifically thinking, because as soon as he told me that I looked down, it's a gate. I turned around, zipped up like I'm, I'm sal- let me salvage some dignity here, turned back around. And now I'm going to talk to the whole group. I'm going to do it in a joking way because I don't want to seem embarrassed, even though I'm horrifyingly embarrassed. And I say to him, to him, but I'm loud enough so everybody can hear, dude, why didn't you tell me my fly was down when I first got up there? And he said something like, oh, I thought you were going to use it in your message somehow, like some sort of illustration or something. (laughs) I had a six-hour drive home, guys. And I mean, I wept. I wept. I was so embarrassed. I mean, it it was one of those times when God instantly humbled me. Um, because you know, God tells us over and over again that 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 we are to humble ourselves, right? I mean, that's that's James chapter four, humble yourself. Um, and um, he says it again, I think in Psalm 121, maybe, um, talks about as like a weaned calf, I have quieted and composed my soul, which again, humble yourself. And what I found, if I don't humble myself, man, God will come around and humiliate me. And that's what he did that day. But what I remember thinking is if someone, if my friend, I don't know if my friend noticed as he introduced me again, if he noticed my fly was down, apparently it was not hard to miss. I mean, I had on like dark pants and white underwear. I mean, it was obvious, right? And I just wish someone had loved me enough before I took that stage to say, whoa, 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 dude, your fly's down. And then, and would that have been embarrassing? Well, sure it would have been. But let me tell you what was far more embarrassing. (laughs) Getting up in front of 100 kids that I'm trying to impact and not impacting them at all because they can't get past the fact that my fly's down. So I love the idea that I learned how to be coachable by a guy who made it awfully hard to be coachable. Because the thing about Coach Patino is, and this is where I think I learned what I learned the most is it's not personal. Oh, it sounds so personal. I mean, I literally thought he was going to knife me in the back at some point. Um, I, 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 I really thought he hated me. He doesn't, man. He loves his players. His players are his, I mean, everything. But he is going to tear you down because, number one, he's going to point out every flaw and he expects you to fix it. And he'll tell you over and over again if you don't. But it's also the part of I can't have any weak-minded people here. I mean, there's an emotional intelligence that comes along with playing at this level, playing at any level, really, or just being coachable where my maturity is enough. And and hear me say again, guys, I'm not saying mine always is, but my maturity should be enough that no matter what criticism comes my way or how it comes, I need to be able to hear it. I don't have to swallow it, but I have to hear it, meaning I need to at least put it in my mouth, chew on it and see if it sticks. And if it sticks and it and, it, and it's something that I, I being hopefully as self-aware as I can agree with, even though I don't appreciate the way it was said or who it was said in front of. Man, I, that's a chance for me to improve and get better. And I so appreciate people like that. I, I Because that's what love is. You, you can tell someone you love someone. If you really love them, then you're not going to let possibly hurting their feelings stand in the way of you saying something to them that might really need to be said, or more importantly, that they might really need to hear. 
And that's one of the things with, with my wife, Susan, I know we've only been married three years and we're still very much in the honeymoon phase. And, um, but I mean, we, she loves me enough to tell me hard truths and I love her enough to do the same. And yeah, sometimes it leads to hurt feelings and, and rarely because we, we hardly ever fight. Um, but sometimes it's led to fights, but at the same time, we, we come back and say, you know what? I didn't respond the right way. I, I, I responded in anger. I responded with my ego and hurt feelings. And I should have just listened to what you have to say, because here's the one thing I know about my wife. She is not going to say something to me just to hurt my feelings. She, she's, she, she and my parents are the two groups of people. Those three people are the three people I know for a fact are only going to tell me truths, even though they may hurt because they love me. And the mere fact that I, my college coach taught me that in, in a, an extreme form is beyond doubt the greatest thing I learned playing college basketball. And I, and I learned it and I give him all credit. It's why I look back now and think, I love this man. I, I would not have what I have, be who I am, um, still be coachable at 47 and still get my feelings hurt over some things that are said, but eventually, hopefully quickly stop myself and say, stop being, stop behaving like a child. Listen to what is being said. Maybe there's something you need to change. And that, that is all because of a man named Rick Pitino. We'll hit rapid fire. All right. All right. I, I have not looked over the rapid fires at all. So this will be fun. This will be good. All right. Yeah. Toughest guy to guard in practice. All of them. All of them. I, I had 10 guys that went to the NBA. I mean, I mean, honestly, the toughest would have been Tony Delk or Antoine Walker. Um, yeah. And Antoine probably, but, and rarely did I guard him because he was a four, I was a two, but occasionally you get switched. And yeah. So Antoine or Tony, Tony Delk was, I mean, he was six foot one or six foot two probably. But I mean, he was built like a brick house. I mean, I, he could go. He could go outside, beat me one on one. He could beat me off the dribble. He could. He knew how to use screens like Reggie Miller did, and then he could post me up. So I mean, I I literally had to foul him every time. So um, in my position, Tony Delk overall, Antoine was unstoppable. Toughest uh, first. You had two national championship runs, right? Yes. Toughest team y'all faced the first time, and then the second time. I'd say UMass in the first Final Four game was the toughest team in the 96 run. Syracuse, who we played in the championship game, they weren't – it wasn't that they weren't good. They were good. They, they, I mean, they were. But um, we actually, on our 20-year anniversary of that game, we went back and watched the film for the first time ever. Because when you win a national championship, you don't really go back and watch the film. You don't have to. So we went back and watched the film. We played terrible terrible against Syracuse and still beat them by eight or so. I mean, it was probably one of our worst games of the year, but we still beat them. But that UMass team, that was one of the only two teams that season to beat us. They beat us in the first game, maybe second game of the season. Um, a John Calipari coach UMass team. Uh, they were, they were, they had Marcus Canby. They had um, a couple of quick guards and I'm just blanking on their names right now, but they were, they were horrible to play against. So probably them. Best player that you played against. And so not on your team, but by right. opposing team. Now, okay, so playing against, did, did I have to guard them or did they just have to be on the other team? Yeah, you had to guard them. Okay, I think, though, I, 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 I'm going to have to go back and find the video of this film to prove it. But I think there was a second and a half where I was double teaming Tim Duncan. In the in the, in the the lead eight game of the 96 run. Uh, we I think we played... Um, it was either it was either the Sweet 16 game or the Elite Eight game, but we played we played uh, uh, Wake Forest, and that was Tim Duncan's senior year. That was the year he came back for to win a national championship. We beat him by like 30, 
Coach Pino devises beautiful. I mean, just he was so good at, at planning for teams and scouting. We we doubled Tim on every every time he touched the ball, he was bam. And it didn't matter where the double team, we didn't just double straight down. We doubled from everywhere. So if he had it, the closest person doubled him. And at one point, because we were up like 20 or 30, I think. And so I would have been in the game because that's that's when I played most of the time, is when we were up 45 minutes with a minute five left to go. Those were my those were my minutes. And at one point he had the he was still in the game. And at one point, I think I went over and helped double him. He got rid of it immediately, so I had to go back to my man. But I, I didn't do anything, but neither did he. So I, I you could say I stopped him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've never been to Lexington, right? But if I'm yep. planning a trip, right, I'm going to go yep. to a football or basketball game, top two yep. restaurants that I need to hit up to get the the full University of Kentucky experience. Oh, okay. Um, uh, okay. So I would say um, Malone's. You have to go to Malone's. It's 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 a... It's a chain steakhouse, but it's it started here in Lexington. It's it's we got three of them here. It's it's the, some of the best food. Um, we've got some nicer steakhouses, but they're not. I mean, they're they're, they're way overpriced. Um, uh, but Malone's is definitely one you, you'd need to go to. And then my wife and I love uh, sushi and Japanese food. And there's a place over here that I just is amazing. They literally fly in every other day. They're flying in stuff from uh, the Tokyo Fish Market um, called Zen, and it's not a Kentucky experience. If you want the Kentucky experience, then Winchell's would be a good, and that's just like kind of like a a Cracker Barrel kind of place, maybe. Okay. Um, and then another place called Ramsey's. So if you if you want like nice food, Zen or Malone's. If you want like just you know, um, it's not even pub fare. It's really good food. But both Winchell's and um, um, and Ramsey's are two like that's like Cracker Barrel kind of places that aren't Cracker Barrel, okay. but cool. they are really great food. Awesome. Favorite part about being the on-air voice of Kentucky basketball? Still get to be a part of basketball, and I still get to be a part of Kentucky basketball because as much as it frustrates me about the stuff we talked about, you know, with, you know, the players still not being compensated by the universities, and I know there are hurdles there, but still, um, the NIL thing, as much as I love UK, I love our athletics department. I mean, I've got so many good friends there. I love what Mitch Barnhart has done, um, and I love – John Calipari. I think he's been incredible for our program. Um, I think UK fans just being UK fans and and it's it's a good and bad situation. They just their expectations are ridiculously stupidly high. That's frustrating as a former player to know how hard it is to actually win a national championship and for them to expect one every year. Um, but on the other hand, if they don't expect one every year, then that's the pressure that makes you prepare. So that's a right. good thing. Um, so just getting to be a part of the program. And not having to get yelled at every day. That, that's 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 I think that's probably my favorite part. I get to be on the team. I'm not on the team. Let me clarify that. Get to be a part of the team, meaning the broadcast team. And I get to go to the games and I get to talk about the team on the network. Um, and I don't get yelled at every day. That that that's nice. That's awesome, Cameron. Hey, thank you for spending some time with us. Let people know if they want to reach out to you and get a hold of you. How can they yeah. how can they reach you? Um, on Twitter, it's Cameron Mills, C-A-M-E-R-O-N-M-I-L-L-Z, uh, because someone beat me to the actual spelling of my name on Twitter by about uh, a year, I think. Um, so it's at Cameron Mills with a Z. Um, I'm on Facebook, but um, um, I'm maxed out on friends there. Um, I, I'm not even sure I've got Chaney as a friend on Facebook. Um, I've got, um, but my ministry, Cameron Mills Ministries, um, is on Facebook. And then uh, my ministry website is C-M-M, Cameron Mills Ministries, cmm21.com. So those are the best ways. I'm on Instagram and the other ones, but most of my social media time is 
actually very little social media time anymore. I, I made the smart decision of saying, I got to get out of this mess. This is all. I still post, but but I don't go on and read a whole lot because that tends to up my, my blood pressure and, and my, uh, my uh, anger. So I was like, you know what? Let's step back from this and enjoy life more. That's a good strategy. Thank you for joining us on NIL Undressed. As always, every like, subscribe, and share is greatly appreciated.